The Old Testament reading for this, the sixth Sunday after the Epiphany, comes from the book of Deuteronomy, the 30th chapter. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away, and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over to the, over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life, that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. And this is the word of the Lord. Praise the Lord, all nations. For great is his steadfast love toward us. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. The epistle reading comes from Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, the third chapter. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel, which serves as the text for our sermon this morning, comes to us according to St. Matthew, the fifth chapter. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out 
until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. This is the gospel of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Free puppies. No, that's not our new outreach program. Sorry, kids. Free puppies was what the classified ad said. The classified ad that some children were excitedly holding in their mother's face. Can we get one? They're free. Mom and Dad talked it over and decided, sure, why not? Free puppies. So they called the number, arranged a visit, loaded up the kids, and headed out to the farm. They picked out the most adorable one of the litter, and they headed home. And on the way, they realized that, since they were first-time dog owners, they didn't happen to have any dog food at home. So they stopped at the local pet store and they ran in to pick up a bag. And some cans too, just for variety. And conveniently located near the dog food that they needed were some adorable dog toys, which the children insisted the puppy absolutely needed. And a food dish. And a water dish, of course. And one of those doggy beds. And some house training pads. And a collar. And a leash. And at the front of the store, the cashier recognized the pile of dog-related items and the giggling, bouncing children and asked if they had just gotten a new pet. A free puppy, said the little girl. Well, if she hasn't had her shots yet, we're having a clinic here at the store next week where you can get them all for just $75. And your total today is $108.33. Back home... It turned out that that adorable free puppy was an adorable chewer. Not of dog toys, though. Furniture suited her much better. Table legs and chairs and couches. And so a couple days later, on the way home from ordering some replacement furniture, Dad headed back to the pet store to buy a kennel. And while he was there, he picked up a brochure on a somewhat reasonably priced local obedience class. And he went ahead and prepaid for that shots clinic. Because, hey, free puppies. 
How often have you found yourself in a situation like this? It all sounds so good, so simple, so very, very reasonable at first. You tell yourself, oh yeah, we can totally swing that. It's no big deal. Only to find out that it's far, far more involved and costly than you thought. Maybe it was a cheap fixer-upper that turned out to need a little more fixering than you thought you would. Maybe it was your one-cent iPhone that sounded really sweet at first, but then came with some heavy maintenance fees and contracts and hidden costs. Maybe you actually ordered the eight CDs for a penny from Columbia House. (laughs) Whatever the specifics, so often things sound so good at first, so simple, so affordable, but very quickly we realize It's far more than we thought. This is the case with sin. The devil tries to convince us that sin is cost-free. There's no consequences. There's no problem with it. It certainly won't have any impact in your life. But so quickly we find out that sin is far more than we thought it was. I mean, we kind of figured we were doing okay. We were obeying God's law, and we were keeping sin out of our lives. Most people assume that. Most people assume that we are living a good, moral, upright life, because we are Christians. And more than that, we are Lutherans. We don't commit all that many crimes. And the ones that we do, obviously there is a good reason for us to commit them, and so we are good, moral, upstanding people, and we are not really sinners. Even as Christians, knowing that God's will is more than just a general being good in life, we still assume that we are living according to his law and doing a pretty darn good job of it. We're not bowing down to golden calves, We're not actively mugging people. We're not taking God's name in vain nearly as much as other people do sometimes. And so since our lives are not filled with orgies and murder sprees, we figure we're okay. We're good people. God has to love us because we are the cream of the crop. We do our best, and our best is pretty dang good. And so God is proud of us. And he loves everything we do, and we have nothing at all to fear because we're not really sinning. That's what we think. But then along comes Jesus and his word of truth, and he blasts that notion clean out of the water. Jesus comes with his law and shows us that we are not good. He says that we sin by our deeds that we thought were perfectly innocent. You know those little things that we all do. Coveting, gossiping, speeding, lying. Yeah, there's still sins, even if everybody else is doing it, and even if other people are doing it more than you are. Those sins that our culture tells us are just fine. Homosexuality, abortion, pornography, anger, sex before marriage, thoughtless divorce... Yeah, there are still sins too because God's word is not undone by our sinful culture's wishes. God doesn't change depending on what the majority thinks or wants. 
But it's even more than that. Jesus says that we sin by our thoughts that we can't even control. Jesus says, you've heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. So tell me, have you ever been angry at someone? A relative? A friend? A total stranger on the highway? Jesus says that in your heart, you've committed murder. You have wished ill and harm upon that person. Jesus also says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So tell me, have you ever had lustful thoughts? Pornography? Scoping someone out from across the room, fantasizing about someone even for a little bit. Jesus says that in your heart, you've committed adultery. And here's the thing, it's not just about us either. Jesus says that sin isn't just contained within yourself. Your sin affects the lives of those around you. When our neighbor sees our sinful deeds, they say, well, hey, If they're a Christian and they can do it, why shouldn't I? When our children see our sinful deeds, they learn to think that there's nothing wrong with it. Dad swears, why shouldn't I? Mom's living with her boyfriend, why shouldn't I? Church isn't important to my parents, why should it be important to me? Sin is serious. It is deadly serious to ourselves and to those around us. Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Jesus makes it very clear in kind of gruesome terms. Sin is more serious than dismembering ourselves. Now no, Jesus is not suggesting that we blind or maim ourselves here. Because even if we did, that wouldn't solve the problem. It's not your eye that causes you to sin. It's not your hand. It's nothing. Those aren't the things that make you sin. It's your heart. It's your nature. And those are things that you cannot cut off and throw away. But what Jesus is saying here is he's showing us that it would be better to lose everything in this world rather than continue in your sin. Rather than to think sin is no big deal. Rather than to lead others down that path of sin. Sin is serious. Sin is our thoughts, our words, our deeds, our emotions, our dreams. Sin is our nature. It is who we are. And all sin is deserving of death and eternal condemnation. If we have just one spot, one blemish, we are not worthy of heaven. But pastor, you might say, I can't control my thoughts. If every little fleeting thought of anger or lust is a sin, how are we supposed to keep from sinning? And that is exactly Jesus' point. We are absolutely soaked to the bone, dripping in sin, inside and out. 
We're not sinners because we sin every now and then. We sin because sin is our nature. It's who we are. We inherited sin from our parents. It was given to us like a free rabid puppy. And it consumes us. It seeps out of our every pore. It fills our lives. It taints everything that we do and think and say. Sin isn't just something that we occasionally do when we're really, really bad. It's far more than we thought it was. Sin is our nature. Sin is who we are. It is our deeds, our thoughts, our fantasies, our dreams, our everything. Sin is our identity. And sin is deserving of nothing but the eternal wrath of God. And that's why the church takes it so seriously. That's why we continue to speak out against it even when the world says don't. That's why Jesus takes sin so seriously. Sin isn't just a little oopsie here and there. It is an all-consuming corruption that condemns you to eternal hell. And if this is all that Jesus came to tell us, then we are lost, miserable wretches. Because our sin is so deep, so far beyond what we thought it was, that we have no hope at all of cleaning ourselves or getting rid of our sin. And unless we are rid of every single speck of it completely, we have no hope of ever entering into God's perfect, sinless paradise of heaven. So thanks be to God that Jesus didn't just come to tell us how bad our sin is. Certainly he came to knock us out of our complacency, to remind us that we shouldn't get comfortable with our wretched sin. But he came not just to talk about sin, but to do something about it. Jesus makes it painfully clear that sin is far more than we thought it was, but he also makes it gloriously clear that his love is far more than we thought it was, too. When we thought we weren't all that bad, Jesus' gift of forgiveness was kind of a nice thing, but something you'd really expect to get. I'm a good guy. Why wouldn't God want me in heaven? If you're thinking that sin is just a couple of bad things here and there, and that's what Jesus came to forgive, then it really doesn't seem like all that much. If you, like the Pharisees, assume that you really have no sin to forgive, then what have you got to be thankful for when Jesus forgives you? It's kind of like when someone goes, Oh, you've got a little lint on your shirt. Let me get that for you. Okay, thanks, I guess. And you go about your business. But when we realize just how depraved and sinful we truly are, Jesus' gift of forgiveness, it takes on a whole new meaning. He's not just forgiving a few bad deeds here and there. He is changing our very core, changing our very nature, forgiving an unpayable debt, giving us so many things that we absolutely do not deserve. And if you have any doubt as to how much your sin actually costs, just look to the cross where Jesus paid your debt in full. Your sin, it's not just an inconvenience to Jesus. It's not something that just annoys him or makes him feel sad. To atone for your sin, God died. God who is eternal and immortal. God who is without end. He laid down his life 
because that was the only payment good enough to pay for your sin. He suffered unimaginable pain to redeem you from sin and death and the devil. He shed his innocent and holy blood to wash you clean of all of your filth. He literally endured the hell that should have been yours forever. As he took upon himself all of your sin, and the Father turned his holy back upon his own beloved Son. Jesus gave up his immortal life over to death to snatch you out of the fiery pits of hell, to keep you from being separated from his holy presence for all eternity as you deserved. Your sin, which is so much greater than you could possibly imagine, it could be paid for with nothing short of the willing sacrifice of God's only begotten, perfect, and holy Son. His love for you is so deep, so much deeper than you could possibly imagine, so great that he willingly gave all of that for you. He willingly laid down his life in torment and in pain just so that you could be redeemed and could be with him forever. For you, to cleanse you of your sin, Jesus Christ was crucified, died, and was buried. But on the third day, he rose again from the grave also for you. In baptism, you have been united with Jesus Christ in his death and in his resurrection. As a sinner, you will die. Your mortal life will come to an end for the wages of sin is death. But as a redeemed child of God, death will not be the end. For just as Jesus rose from the grave, you too shall rise to eternal life with him in heaven. And there in heaven, that perfect paradise that Jesus has won for you, that Jesus has prepared specifically for you, we will be set free from all the misery of our sin. No more sinful thoughts filling our minds with depravity and filth. No more hurt and shame from our sinful thoughts and deeds. No more sickness or death or sorrow or tears. Because in that perfect paradise, sin will not even be a memory. It will be no more. And even now, this side of heaven, as we still deal with our wretched sin and temptation, the cross and empty tomb of Jesus Christ give us the victory. No longer are we slaves to sin, bound to fill our lives with every depraved notion and hateful thought that seeks to enter our heart. Yes, we're going to fall short. Yes, we are going to fail miserably at times. But we have been made a new creation in Jesus Christ, one that no longer seeks to indulge every sinful whim like an animal. When temptation seeks to take us over, we can flee to the refuge of God's holy word. We can renounce the devil and his evil ways, and we can look instead to glorify God with our thoughts and our words and our deeds. And as we do, we protect ourselves from the shame and the consequences that accompany our sin, even as it tries to convince us that it's no big deal. And we also give a bold witness to those around us that there is a much better way than the filthy, sinful ways of this world, a way that leads to joy and life. Not by our strength, not by our goodness, not by our efforts to resist, 
but by the loving, sacrificial death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So often when we think about sin, we think it really doesn't affect us, that there is no real cost to us, that we can handle it on our own, and it's not such a big deal. But then when we read God's Word, the reality of sin smacks us upside the head. It is far more than we thought. Sin involves far far more than we thought. Sin costs far more than we thought. But thanks be to God, His love for us is far more than we thought as well. His love is not just a hug now and then or a handful of gifts on special occasions. His love is full and complete and sacrificial. His love changes us here in this world and gives us the guarantee of eternal life in heaven. His love is far more than we thought, far more than we could ever comprehend. Because His love is nothing short of the total sacrifice of His Son, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And by His cross alone, by His empty tomb alone, You are forgiven of every one of your sins, and eternal life in heaven is yours. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen.